Hey, this is Seth Scruggs, co-host of Rewatch. We're very excited to announce that we are going to be premiering a short film called Five Minutes. It was directed by me, and it was produced and written by Zachary Vaughn. We shot it back in December, and we're getting ready to release it on August 28th at 6 p.m. It will be premiering on YouTube as a live premiere. Uh, you can find all the information on Instagram at MarkSpotsTheX Productions. Following the premiere of the film, we are going to be hosting a live Q&A at 6.15 uh, where we're going to talk about the film and you can come out and ask us questions and we'll be excited to answer them. August 28th at 6pm with a Q&A following at 6.15, the premiere of 5 Minutes, a short film by Seth Scruggs and Zachary Vaughn. Hello and welcome to Rewatch. My name is Seth Scruggs, and this is a show about movies we love and movies we haven't seen yet. I am joined by my co-host, Zachary Vaughn. Hello. And basically the way the show works, if you haven't listened to it before, is that we both watch a movie. One of us has seen it before and the other hasn't, and then we talk about it. It's it's really that simple. Um, though I can never seem to explain it quite well. Anyway, Zach uh, picked the movie that we talked about this week. Zach, you want to tell us about it? Yeah, we watched Do the Right Thing. It's a 1989 movie written and directed and starring Spike Lee. Um, it's about a block in Brooklyn uh, and the goings on there and how racial tensions come to a head. So, uh, yeah, you want to, you want to hop into it then? Yeah. I mean, I, so I've, I've only seen this one once. You have seen it twice. I've seen it twice. Um, So I guess I can start with kind of my first impressions from a first viewing. Um, I, I didn't feel like the movie was working for me at the beginning of the movie and really through probably about halfway through or maybe even more than halfway through i was like i just don't know if this is like if this is my thing if this is working i don't feel as engaged i don't know what's going on and that's fine like i there are plenty of movies that are good movies that i don't really engage with very well um a lot of martin scorsese's work but that's a that's a whole other conversation um but as the movie entered into the third act, I was like holding my breath and was anxious, like intensely. Um, it was kind of insane. And I looked at the, I was watching it with my fiance. And at the end of it, she looked at me and she went, you were holding your breath too, right? I was like, Yeah. All that to say, I think that this is a very effective movie. I think that's the end of that. <laughs> what were your thoughts coming at it twice? So I kind of cheated with this one because I hadn't <laughs> seen it when I, when I picked it. So I watched it twice between last week and this week. So you did um, rewatch it. I did rewatch it. Um, the first time, I absolutely agree with you. It was really hard to get in. Um and really hard to just give myself to the story um, until like halfway or so through. Um, but like you, like it, the third act is really when it just, oh my gosh. Um, but on the second watch, I noticed it was really easy for me to get into it. Um, I was okay. in, I was in the story from pretty much the beginning on the second watch, which I, I liked because it meant like I, it meant with, with more context, I was able to appreciate it more sooner. Gotcha. So yeah, that's, I wanted to ask a little bit about that. Cause I have some theories about why I couldn't quite connect with the story and I can talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I'm curious, you coming at it a second time and really connecting with it from the beginning, 
did you figure out like were you able to put a finger on like why it didn't why that first part didn't connect with you as much the first time i know exactly why okay hit it because spike lee isn't a good actor (laughs) okay I mean, I agree. That was one of the... So there are two main things for me. Um, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to say with that. Um, I mean, just that, like, I I, I was able to be like, all right, accept that Spike Lee's a bad actor, pay attention to how good everybody else's acting is, and how the lines are good, he's just not delivering them well. And that's that's what helped me get into it. It was a lot easier at that point. Gotcha. Cool. I do want to say, I do think Spike Lee is a good director. Yes. Um, He's a great director and a great writer. Yeah. Uh, But acting is not a strong suit. Um, I think that, so that was for sure part of it for me. The other thing for me is that it was hard to settle into the rhythm of the movie at first, I think, because I came in expecting a story yes yeah that is something else and this movie is more about a picture of a neighborhood yes Um, which i think is great but it took me a little bit to figure out okay why are we jumping around what's going on and on top of that i coming from the southern united states don't have a lot of experience with that kind of neighborhood where it's like people walking down the block constantly and hanging out outside just on the street like um that culture is so different and obviously being a white southerner is different than being a black new yorker and so there there's a different culture in that um that i just wasn't like i was so removed from that trying to figure out, okay, what, how does all this connect it didn't make as much sense to me. And obviously yeah. 30, 30 years removed from the source material as well, I think. But looking back on it as things kind of came to a head in the movie and recognizing that's what it had been doing made me appreciate the first act more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's not... most Most movies are telling the story and setting up the story from the very beginning as mm-hmm. like one continuous story. Mm-hmm. Um, this is setting the scene for the first half of the movie. This is, it's giving context to what's going to happen in the third act and why it matters and why it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's almost, and in a way, I think this movie is interesting because it, I think like all good movies, it can help us understand the world that we live in, obviously. But like, I I think it also is interesting in that it functions as a kind of historical document of like, here's what was, here's what life was like in Brooklyn in the 90s or late 80s, early 90s this is this is what that was like and so it's not it's not necessarily speaking to every single person that exists in the world it's going and saying okay here's what it is and i want to share it with you Mm -hmm. and i think it's incredibly effective at that yeah i Um, think it's amazing it's just it just blew me away um because i i didn't know anything about this movie going in yeah, um, me and so at the end of it, I watched it with my roommate at the end of it. We were speechless at how exactly relevant it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like this movie was made in 1989 mm-hmm. and we're in 2020. This movie was made 31 years ago. Yep. Yeah, it's insane. It is. It's a. It's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how in it's incredibly poignant uh, for the world that we live in, but just in general, I I don't really feel qualified to talk about it on a socio political level necessarily. Um, I'm not a 
social scientist. I'm not a political scientist. I'm a filmmaker. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but I, I think it'd be wrong to not mention even slightly the ramifications and the the relevancy of this movie. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think in that respect, it's amazing, but also just on a film level, like on a filmmaking level, the movie so subtly builds Mm -hmm. and it is incredible to watch. Also, we, we've talked exactly around it. (laughs) Yes. The entire episode at the end of this movie, um, spoiler alert right about to happen a police officer kills a black man mm-hmm. for you could you can argue what for but a police officer kills a black man needlessly yeah yeah the the murder itself is e- easily needless whether or not he needed to be apprehended is one thing but the yeah. murder is definitely yes um needless um, and then they start looting and destroying mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. pizzeria. Yes. So very, very, very relevant for June 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's shocking in a lot of ways and kind of sitting there in the aftermath of it just kind of like almost like breathing heavily just like oh gosh what did we just witness um and that that was crazy for me um i i was shocked at how much i felt yeah this movie um i don't know how did that feel on a second go around it it was more because i was paying attention to all the smaller details and I had the context of the whole um at so I I knew going into it what the story was building to and what to look for in all of the pieces um to pay more attention to what does this mean when this is happening like um seeing the respect between the uh the Latinos and radio rahim when he beats them in the in the stereo contest like he goes away because he won like everybody knows that he won they're still like cussing him out as he leaves and like being big but like no violence he won out of respect Mm -hmm. that yeah showdown which i don't quite understand because again i'm not from that culture and we acknowledge our our limited knowledge and our biases um that's one of the things we like to do here but uh like it's still cool seeing that and Mm. understanding it especially on a second watch yeah yeah i think for me what was interesting coming into this movie i mean there's a lot of film theory things that we could just like really pick apart here Um, But I do think it's interesting talking about Spike Lee in particular. I'm not exceptionally familiar with Spike Lee's work. Um, I have seen Black Klansman, um, but I I don't, to my knowledge, I haven't seen any of his other films. Um, So what's so interesting to me is that and obviously these movies are like 30 years apart, but really they aren't. um, It's hard to find the direct line between them for me. Um, And so I find that interesting. I think that's a testament a little bit to Spike Lee as a director in that he has that ability to kind of fluctuate through different styles. Mm -hmm. Um, but but it is interesting because in this movie it feels like he is would do the right thing it feels like he's creating a style 
um, and kind of forging a little bit of a path with what he's doing in this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's shooting a lot of Dutch angles. Yes. He's shooting a lot of wide-angled close-ups um, mm-hmm. is what they seem to be. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of harsh lighting. Um, a lot of shaky, you know, handheld camera. A lot of looking down and looking up very, very drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that one of his most recent movies, um, I don't think, I think actually... The Five Bloods is about to come out. It may be out by the time this podcast is up. Um, but really in his most recent movie up until that one doesn't share a lot of those same qualities. This movie, Do the Right Thing, is very raw and very energetic. Um, whereas Black Klansman is almost a reference and um, sourced from black exploitation films of the 70s. 80s so it's it's a very different rhythm and style um to get into um and yeah it's just it's it's very different um and i think it's interesting seeing kind of those two movies fairly close together um yeah that's a little bit of a ramble but oh yeah this is only Spike Lee movie I've seen, so I don't even have I don't even have that additional context. Yeah, well, it was interesting because uh, so Black Klansman heavily focuses on the KKK and kind of their influence, um, and you know we come from the South, acknowledging our bias. Uh, we come from the South, and you know the KKK was founded. 45 minutes from where we grew up. So I I don't think it's fair to say that necessarily that culture is ingrained in where we grew up. Um, but it is more prevalent than, um, than things like the black and Latino culture of the nineties in Brooklyn for us. Yeah. And so I found that movie much more accessible because I had a frame of reference for what I was seeing. Um, so it, this, seeing this movie was very interesting because it did, it broadened that a lot more. What was, what did you notice coming at it in a second time? I noticed that Sal isn't that bad a guy. Mm-hmm. But also, he's very racist. Yeah. Which does make him a bad guy. <laughs> like, um, he he's nice to some people, and he's really chill in some circumstances. And it's not that hard to get him riled up, which that isn't about... That isn't specifically about race i think i think he's a passionate italian and so when he gets riled he gets riled but i do think the fact that people who look different from him and have a different culture and a different normal from him more easily get him upset yeah Um, something that stuck out to me is he and Pino have this conversation in the window of the shop of the pizzeria where he's basically, he's calling Pino on the carpet for being racist is what's mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. And he's like, dude, what are, you, what are you doing? Like I, I serve these people. I've watched them grow up. I feed them. They grew up on my food just like you did. You know, there's no difference. And it's interesting because at that moment I was like, okay, I, I think Sal might be okay. And there's this moment of like, okay, I think he might be okay. He might be all right. Maybe he's not as bad as, you know, he has this dust up with bugging out um, early on, which is kind of the impetus for the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
sort of. Yeah. It is sort of the impetus for the end of the movie. Um, but what it's not until the end of the movie and you see what he's saying in a new light that he is all in for this block as long as they kind of depend on him. Mm -hmm. And as long as they're still coming to his shop and they're still following his rules and they're still giving him money, he's there and he, he's going to, give as much to this community as he feels he's getting if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah and as long as he's they're kind of dependent on him which reveals where his actual motive is which mm-hmm. is poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which is with where he is and how he treats everybody does appear to be related to race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And right after that conversation where you think, okay, maybe, maybe he's okay. He is a creep to Mookie's sister and it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. No, you're a creep. We'll move on. <laughs> this movie I think visually is incredibly interesting. Um, obviously, we talked about the Dutch angles, the close-ups, the harsh lighting. Um, but this movie does a lot to make you feel hot. Yeah, it does. So the, this movie takes place on the hottest day of the summer. That's the plot. And really that heat is both a driving force and a metaphor for the rising tension. So it is important that the audience feels that heat. And they do this in a couple of ways. Um, And I want to know your favorite is, but I'll, I'll talk about a couple of them. Um, one, every character is sweating. Every time you see them, everyone is sweating. Like, a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the You often see the heat on the pavement. Um, the sun is tinged orange, so normally the sunlight is going to come in blue. But all of the light, for the most part, especially if it's coming from the sun, is very orange. Um, which makes it feel hotter. And the color red is in basically every frame of this movie in some capacity. Um, And as a bit of a color nerd when it comes to movies, that might be my favorite thing. Because that's dedication right there. I don't know, is there one of those that you feel is... um, more effective to you i really like the sweating one um because it it's just it's it's a physical thing that is not super subtle but like still subtler than everybody going man it's so hot all the time like Mm -hmm. they they do that a couple Mm -hmm. times um but like i i think it's great because it's a physical sim- not symbol representation i don't know it's a, it's a physical tell that it's really 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 hot um and so like if like it it, it having sweat or whatever even if it was actually water um or something else on them like they could like they can use that the actors could use that in a scene and like sweat makes people glisten and like it's a lot more visually compelling to see it because there's like sweat makes things feel intense because when do you sweat when it's hot and intense when you're passionate when you've been fighting when you've been doing something 
um, it really amps up the visual of the actors, I think. Yeah, I mean, the what they do with Heat in this movie is like the the epitome of show don't tell. And there are a few things that are more direct. You know, they they show the fan. They show you know fans are always going, and we see shots through fans, um, and that kind of thing. To me, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it, but as an as someone who loves color in film and the way color is used in film the the color red being everywhere because that to me just communicates so intensely it's hot Mm -hmm. and not not only do we feel like everything around us is hot it's not just the sun it's this wall it's the the ground it's my clothes it's it's everything um i I just I, i think that might be the most effective thing possible in this movie mm-hmm. did you so talked a lot about what we liked um is there anything in this movie that you didn't care for very much there were a lot of things that i didn't appreciate coming from a different culture as much as i would have if i came from the sa- the culture in which it was made. That's not to say that I didn't like it. I just didn't appreciate it. Like, it didn't have the same effect on me as if I was from a that area of Brooklyn, um, and grew up in that area. Um, yeah, for sure. So, like, it's not that anything was well. Other than Spike Lee's acting, there wasn't anything that was like, yeah, I don't really like that. Um, there was some stuff that as a film I didn't quite understand and think it could have been done yeah. slightly better or differently. Um, yeah. Like right before the climax, there's a shot of uh, Radio Rahim and bugging out, leaning against the wall, and then it zooms in on the radio and then it cuts to them. And it's them having an introduction. Like they, they introduce, like they, they say, hey, hey. And then they start the conversation. And I'm thinking, okay, it has been established that you guys have been here for like five seconds already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least five seconds. You yeah. guys haven't already said this. Um, there, there were a few filmmaking things that most of them, I just don't understand why it was there. And so I'm not going to really talk on that, Mm -hmm. but that one, I'm like, okay, come on. That should have been in medias rest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel that. I feel that a lot um, as well. I mean, there, there were definitely elements of the film. I I think Spike Lee is acting um, (laughs) same. I, I just, I found it hard to believe a lot of what he said. Um, and maybe maybe it's because I'm culturally familiar with Spike Lee, um, and not as an actor, but as a human being, like as a person. And I've watched interviews with him, and I've seen him give acceptance speeches. And I'm, you know, there's the great moment where he won an Oscar and like tackled, I think it was Sam Jackson on stage, um, which is just a great moment in film history. But that's that's beside the point. Um, I think because I'm culturally familiar with him, it was harder for me um, in some respects as well. See, I I didn't know for a while that it was Spike Lee. Oh, gotcha. Um, Gotcha. Because he's so young and I am not as familiar with Spike Lee outside, like IRL. Sorry, Mm -hmm. in real life. I'm not, I'm not as familiar with that. And so I was like, okay. And then I found out, wait, that's Spike Lee. And then I'm looking back through everything and realizing he was the weak delivery of the scenes. He, he was, he hindered me a lot from enjoying this film as much as I could have. Um, I, something that I almost wish was that the movie felt less resolved 
Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can kind of talk about the ending if you want to do that. Yeah, um, I'm curious. I so the way the movie ends is that Mookie and Sal, uh, come to some sort of terms. I think is a fair way of saying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where basically Mookie is like, I'm still, you know, you, you owe me money, but I'm only going to take what you owe me. I'm going to say that again. Cause that motorcycle just was very yeah. Basically at the end of the movie, Sal and Mookie come to terms where Mookie is gonna, he needs his money from Sal that Sal owes him, but he's only going to take that because he's still going to work for Sal. That's kind of what they establish. Mm-hmm. And it it's a good resolution in that I, I think what it's trying to communicate is that life is going to go on and we got to figure out how to be together. That, that was kind of the, what I got. I don't know what you feel with that. Yeah. What what you got out of that last scene? I don't know. I, it's weird. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable because especially because Mookie threw the trash can through the window to start the destruction. Mm Mm-hmm. Not necess- I'm That is not me. He threw the trash can through that started the destruction. Yeah. Uh, that's not me att- uh, attributing motive. No, uh, no. But, but that, I mean, essentially he kicked it off with what he did. Yeah. Yes. Whether or not he intended to or not, that's right. what happened. Um, And so, I don't know. It's just, it's very uncomfortable because you have this man who just lost everything um but also lot like he he lost everything he lost his like his business that he literally built from the ground up um he lost in one night all of his power in the community all of his reputation in the community um it's just very uncomfortable but it's yeah. Like, supposed to, because it's something that rarely happens, which is a white guy lost his power. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so he's standing there on equal footing with the black guy who used to work for him. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know if he still works for him or not. Yeah. I I think it's... It's tough, but it does bring some sort of resolution of, and and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it almost feels like he's saying, yeah, I'm here and I we're on equal footing, I'm, but I'm still going to treat you with integrity. You know, I'm not going to take more money than what you owe me. I'm not going to, I'm still going to earn my keep so to speak. Um, and I, and I think that's an effective moment for me. And I am generally more comfortable with feeling unfulfilled at the end of a movie. Um, as long as I feel like there's been some conclusion, I don't need a pretty bow. Right. For a lot of my movies. So there's a shot toward the end of the movie um, where Mookie is sitting there kind of in the remnants of everything that's happened. And he looks just kind of shell-shocked. And the camera pushes in on him. And I was ready for that to be the end. You, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I And... I'm not like upset necessarily at how it ended, but for me, and I think that comes from 
the day and age in which we live, um, it doesn't feel resolved. Um, and so it almost felt to me that, you know, looking back 30 years now and seeing how much further we have to go, it felt weird to have a tight resolution for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not, I am not an acclaimed filmmaker, so I guess I can't necessarily say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's my place to say that do the right thing should have ended differently. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting. I was, I was ready for that to be the ending and to feel unresolved and be left thinking in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was ready for that and I'd be interested because again, coming off my knowledge of Spike Lee movies, Spike Lee tends to like to leave you with, um, something to chew on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I still think there was that, um, but I, I was, I was interested in letting that hang for a little bit but that's that's more me as a as a filmmaker and as a style Mm -hmm. so yeah i just i think that would have been an that's an interesting idea about um about that i think that it does it does still end almost with it hanging and i appreciate that because it it also shows that like Life goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just we burn down the pizzeria and we're over and we're done. There's, there's. Okay, now, now we have to kind of live with what we, what we did and where we're going and how do we. You know, I think it's a a question that we're facing right now of like. Okay. We we got angry, and that was that was a good, you know. People were angry. Cool. What do we do after we're breathing normally again? What what do we do when that settles? Do we treat each other with respect and try to move on? Do we act like it didn't happen? Um. And I think this movie picks the former of those two. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's one thing to end the movie after something happens or show a resolution, but like this does a good job at showing what happens when you wake up the next morning and your girl is still upset at you. And Not you because still don't of... have a whole lot of money. Yeah. And she's upset not because of any sort of riot you may have started. She's upset just right. because you, you don't come around enough. Yeah. Um, and I like the way he he did it because the next day starts. Does it all take place on the first day until then? Is oh, it yeah. All it, it all takes place in one day. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. So like he, he starts the next day almost. I mean, obviously not identical because it starts... The first one is with the mayor um, waking up, but like it starts Mm -hmm. the second day starts the same way as the first day. It's Sam Jackson's radio host announcing stuff. And -hmm. then it's somebody waking up because it's showing life goes on. Life is life Um, completely off of the train we had been going on go for it go for it Um, it. there are two shots in this movie that i love um hit me with them they just blow me away because one of them's just straight up really cool one of them i'm still trying to figure out how it worked um the first shot is when bugging out is kicked out of sal's the camera follows them it follows them out, but it stays behind the closed door. 
And mm. so the cool thing for me isn't just that it's a continuous shot that follows them out, stays inside, and then comes back in. But you can hear them because they're talking. Yep. What? I I have my theory. I haven't looked up to see how they did it, but I have my theory of how they did it. It's not that complicated, according to my theory. But what what do you think? How do you think they did that? I would assume laughs. Yeah, they could. If they're, it, it sounded very close. Yeah. Um. So for anyone, this is we're getting a little bit nerdy and technical here, but basically a lavalier mic, um, is a small mic, mic pinned to a lapel. Maybe it's called a lapel mic as well. Um, on films, a lot of times they will be attached to actors underneath their clothes and the actors will be wearing a pack so that they can um, get sound close to their chest. What is your theory? My theory is that and or two booms. Um, they could have a mm. boom mic in Sal's and then fade to the boom mic outside on the city. Yeah. Um, when when they go outside or a combination or a combination um my brother does sound and has done sound in los angeles um and he said that the industry standard is you give them a laugh and then you have a boom also so yeah so it makes sense yeah yeah Um, i on that note there are a lot of really long takes in this movie there are um and done in a way that you don't pick up on it mm-hmm. um but there are multiple times i was like wait we haven't cut nothing is cut and i think that does a good job and the editing picks up toward the end and i think that adds to that anxiety inducing feeling toward the end mm-hmm. of not just we're going full blast but like we're gonna slowly build up to that yeah um the second shot that I'm still not sure. I have some theories, but there are parts of it that I, I, I it's just hard. Um, when, um, when the mayor wakes up and is with mother, sister, that conversation happens in her apartment or house. I don't know how that is referred to where they are um and they have a conversation and they walk to the window and the camera um front follows them out of the window and onto the street and then it pans i'm not sure how that works i don't know because to me it looks like something that could easily be done with a jib a really long jib um, that follows them out. Um, But then the pan at the end is what throws me because it seems like a handheld pan. I mean, that could be something similar to what was being done on movies like 1917, where it's attached up to a point. And then once it reaches another point, someone takes it and moves it. Yeah. I'm trying that to is figure out. significantly more difficult when you're actually shooting film and not digital. And this film was definitely on film. Yeah. So I'm that, trying to think its own problems. the practicality and financial practicality of that in 1989 and on what was still an earlier Spike Lee film. Oh yeah. This movie is definitely low budget. So like, I'm trying to think, I, I don't, I, that, that, shot still has my mind boggled and i know i'm sure it's a really simple answer but because i can't see the camera (laughs) i i don't know do you have any more kind of closing thoughts i just i just want to go back to how mind-blowing it is that this movie was made in 1990. 1989 Mm -hmm. and is essentially what we read about and saw on social media 
by the time this comes out four-ish weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. That's just... It's heartbreaking that it's still so exactly relevant. Um, yeah. And it's heartbreaking that it was relevant at any point. Yeah. I will say... Uh, we are two white dudes making a podcast. Um, and, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily the kind to, um, rally in a traditional term, um, or be loud in any capacity. Um, and this is not a political tirade kind of thing. Um, and I don't think either of us want it to be. Um, but uh, stories like this one are incredibly important. Um, and it'd be wrong not to acknowledge the importance that exposing ourselves to films like this has um, Mm -hmm. always um, no matter what's going on in the world. You know, we talked about it, but we are not, you know, we're white guys from the South black culture in the nineties in Brooklyn is totally out there for Mm -hmm. us. Um, and one of the beautiful things about film, one of the reasons that I, we decided to go into this field is because film has that power to help us connect and empathize with those who we are not. Mm-hmm. you know through film we are able to be put into the shoes of someone from 30 years ago in a culture that we don't understand and we're able to empathize and see the world the way that they do even just for two hours um i don't necessarily know where i was going with this uh-huh. other than that These stories are important, Um, and if you're listening and you've gotten this far and you've put up with us, and maybe you're listening but you haven't seen this movie, um, go see it. Um, Find stories from people who don't look like you, Um, and especially now, I think listening to black stories is good but i mean that in a broad way too find stories written by people in california find stories written by people in kentucky find stories written by people in mississippi expose yourself to lots of things Because that's, especially with film, you know, obviously we're going to come back to that because that's where we kind of live and exist. But that is where put yourself in as many people's shoes as possible and find stories that make you connect in new ways. That's my little speech, I guess. (laughs) With that, uh, do we want to recommend some stuff for this week? Yeah. Uh, Do you want to go first? I can go first. Um, While we're talking about telling stories um, that are different, um, Just Mercy is uh, now streaming for free on pretty much all platforms for the month of June 2020. So if you're listening in June 2020, 
Um, I hope you are. And you can check that film out. Um, the performance, I mean, Michael B. Jordan is just one of the greatest actors working right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And this movie, he just, he knocks it out of the park, man. Like, uh, just, just kills it. Um, highly recommend that film. My recommendation is Selma. It's in a similar situation as Just Mercy, where it's free for this month to rent most places. Um, If you don't know, Selma is about Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, and the early, the 60s civil rights movement, um, a setup, uh, setting up a march from um montgomery to selma or the other way around shoot i just watched this movie (laughs) it's from it's from one of those places to the other place um but it also is it's also very relevant to today it was made recently too but it's very relevant and it's historical um and it's got mm-hmm. a really, it's got really good performances. Um, yeah. yeah, worth noting that Just Mercy came out in 2019, early 2020, so kind of in that same boat as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, both, yeah, I haven't not had the chance to see Selma yet, but um, it's on on my list. And Just Mercy see. is on yeah. my list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so the movie that we're going to be watching next week is Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, It's a movie that's made to look like all-in-one shot. It's got Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. Um, All right. It's a good old time, and we'll be back talking about that next week. All right. So until then, I'll see you later, Zach. All right, I'll see you.